0: After more than 100 years, the University of Chicago's Oriental Institute is dropping the Oriental. I'm Adora Namigadde, and for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. The announcement comes after administrators at the university acknowledge the name is confusing, considering the museum does not solely focus on East Asia. Also, since the museum's founding in 1919, the word Oriental has long been considered outdated and even offensive. So to learn all about the rebrand, we're talking to Associate Director and Chief Curator at the formerly named Oriental Institute, Marc Mayo. So Marc, let's start with the big news. What's the new name?
1: Isaac. Institute for the Study of Ancient Cultures.
0: Mm, Isaac, very modern. Throwback mm. to Apple. All right. <laughs> so what all went into determining this new name?
1: Basically, the two reasons were the following. The first one it had is that Oriental, as you said, uh, has led to confusion for our audience and visitors, mainly because... Uh, People were expecting to see artifacts from China or Japan, for Mm. example. And basically, we wanted to switch to the new name to more clearly define our area of expertise, talking about research or the museum collection itself. And uh, the second reason, as uh, you mentioned, is that the word oriental uh, has developed into a more pejorative connotation over time. Just to remind you, the bill signed by Barack Obama in 2016, mm. removing Oriental from, you know, the official names of any institution and who wanted to comply with that policy. Also to more clearly honor the cultures we are studying.
0: Awesome. And I know today is the first day that this new name is official, but how has the name been received by staff and administration at the University of Chicago?
1: Actually, we made sure that that decision of changing name reached the most consensus possible. So when we launched the, the Name Change Committee in 2021, We consulted with uh, the faculty, staff, uh, students, donors, volunteers, the advisory council of the institute, of course, but also uh, peer institutions from around the world uh, to see what was the feedback on this idea. And this is why, actually, the reception of ISAC was really good. And then we moved along with it.
0: Okay. So it's a bit of a long name, Institute for the Study of Ancient Cultures, West Asia and North Africa. But is the solution calling it ISAC?
1: Yes, I think uh, the idea, and uh, speaking from where I am, namely Chief Curator of the Museum, I definitely do hope that the constituents of the city will take the name for themselves and calling it, I think in time, ISAC.
0: And is this focus on West Asia and North Africa any different from what you currently do?
1: Actually, no. Basically, it tries to encompass the reality of our research and the collection that we're actually studying also and exhibiting for for the audience so no, no it's we are not changing anything uh, basically our main missions namely research pragmatic excavations and uh, philology remains the same we just want to basically as any other cultural institution uh, be in touch with our time
0: It's nice that the new name better signifies the wide scope of what you guys study.
1: Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: This is Reset. I'm Adora Namigade in for Sasha Ann Simons. After 100 years, University of Chicago's Oriental Institute has unveiled a new name, the Institute for the Study of Ancient Cultures, West Asia and North Africa, or ISAC. We're speaking now with Associate Director and Chief Curator, Marc Meillot. So with the Orient typically meaning Far East, and now shifting to this focus on West Asia and North Africa, what artifacts should people expect in the museum? Were those artifacts already there? Because as you said, this is something you've already been studying.
1: Hmm. So basically, the the museum collection holds up uh, 350,000 of objects, of course. Uh, Most of them are in basically the storerooms of the museum for research purposes and conservation. And only 2% uh, of these objects are actually on display. It allows us two things. The first one is to actually enforce a rotating policy of the artifacts to actually allow the audience to have different angles of perspective when they visit the collection and the main ga- museum, the main galleries of the museum, but second, to make it available for researchers worldwide to actually push forward the research uh, at an international level.
0: Mm-hmm. And what obstacles did the OI, now the ISAC, run into when getting this name change through?
1: The first one would be trying to find, uh, trying to, to get this new identity towards a broader audience, but also peer institutions around the world that are used or by with the term OI or Oriental Institute. Um, for example, in publications, scientific publications, you have that acronym everywhere. OI was also something that was um, very familiar to the constituents of the city, and this is. Potentially the big challenge that we're going to have to face, uh, basically try to advocate on that new name and make it familiar and grounded on the long term, hopefully for the next hundred years (laughs) (laughs) for the constituents of, of, uh, of our city.
0: Yeah. And a recent investigation from ProPublica and Crane's Chicago Business found that several pieces from an Asian collection at the Art Institute might have been removed illegally from Nepal. And we know that provenance of artifacts is an essential part of a museum's work. And in recent years, there's been a bigger push for museums to return possibly stolen pieces to their countries of origin. So how does the Institute deal with this? Is there a protocol for pieces that were illegally acquired?
1: So in our case, uh, it's not so much of a problem for one big reason, is that the collection that we have uh, is mainly coming from uh, excavations that Isaac performed in the the beginnings of the 20th century. And actually, at that time, it was common practice that we, the hosting country was enforcing a policy of legal partage with the institution that actually sponsored or performed the excavation on site. That being said... uh, the ISAC museum is fully engaged in the policy of repatriation provided of course that you know the legal uh, aspects uh, are met uh, and if there is an official request on it as we speak it's not the case for us
0: okay and then if there were a sort of official request to like get those artifacts back is that something ISAC would comply with
1: it's necessarily a case-by-case situation so Provided that the situation happens, we will get, you know, have a close look into it. But that being said, uh, we are fully engaged in the process. Yes, of course.
0: Okay. And is there a lasting relationship between ISAC and the countries where you do these sort of excavations and where those excavations happened in the past?
1: Of course, yes. And we are keeping these links active even during the pandemic era where maintaining links was a challenge we made sure that we were there for the main partners that we have in the countries that we are covering including for example researchers or museum staff in conflict areas isaac has a taste for long-term friendship and even in hard times we are making sure that we are up to the task
0: that's that's interesting and then can you tell me more about how that relationship plays out when you're in a place that is high conflict like you said Mm -hmm. versus a time of peace
1: Oh, um, I can talk from experience because um, in a nutshell, I was basically the director of the French Archaeological Unit in Khartoum for about four years, a researcher prior to that. Okay. So I I know what it means uh, when we say cultural heritage in conflict areas. Mm. Um, To be clear, for me, cultural heritage is one of the best tools, if not the best, to actually try to bring a sense of... uh, Um, common belonging and shared memory around an institution, hopefully the museum can play that part.
0: Yeah. And then what drew you to working at what we're now calling ISAC? Can you tell us about your journey to the organization?
1: (laughs) Freshly arrived. uh, Basically, I arrived in Chicago two months ago. um, So I'm still discovering the city. Um, And for me, as I said, coming from Khartoum, The thing that surprised me the most is the resemblance in the the challenges that we have uh, to tackle uh, regarding the constituents of the city. As I said, uh, creating the museum as a cultural hub for all communities is for me the biggest challenge in Khartoum. I saw that quite extensively because even when the situation was, let's say, at the worst of times... the museum was a safe place for different ethnies to gather. Even if, of course, Chicago and Khartoum are not the same place, I think that philosophy is relevant for the museum.
0: And how are you working on bringing that sort of philosophy to play here in Chicago? How are you bringing those different groups of people together?
1: Mm. Actually, it's also a question of challenges. Uh, For me, the main priority is to bring people back to the museum after a pandemic era. The pandemic created some habits. We need to get out of it by in-person events. Uh, The idea is to have actually the the people looking at the artifacts with their eye and not only the phone. Uh, The second is keep them coming back on the long term. That implies consistency in our programming. The connection that we are making with our wider audience, with the lectures, the programs, the youth programs, particularly. Um, And the third challenge, I think, that we have to meet is um, basically trying to break the barrier between the south side of Chicago and the north side. Mm. Uh, For one basic reason, Um, we are on a campus campus. It's not coming myself from a poor neighborhood. It's not necessarily easy to come to a museum in the first place. If you have to cross a campus to do that, it's even harder. So basically, my idea would be very pragmatically, very concretely to try to reinforce transportation and commuting, connecting the museums in the loop with uh, basically the South Side and the UChicago campus, to make it, you know, a more city-wise programming and getting out of this idea that Chicago is a city of neighborhoods. For me, the main focus is to try to think as a city Mm. and not only as neighborhoods anymore.
0: Neighborhoods that are connected and that kind of interplay with each other.
1: Of course, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you mentioned earlier that Isaac has some rotating artifacts. Mm-hmm. And I want you to talk more about those. Are there any artifacts that most stick out to you or that are going to be on display soon that you th- think people should come see?
1: Oh, but may, maybe. Um, of course, uh, we, we are going to basically, f- for example, refurbish three main showcases in the permanent gallery. Egypt, Persia, and of course, Nubia because I am a specialist of Nubia, Mm. as you could have guessed. Uh, I also would recommend to attend to the special exhibit, Uh, Artifacts Also Die, that we are going to open tomorrow, uh, which is basically a history uh, of reappropriation of the heritage uh, by the artist Anna Malala, who is uh, an English and Iraqi uh, artist who is actually addressing the question of... uh, reappropriation of her her own history Mm. and this is a good example for example of how we want to actually address the audience in the future by convoking contemporary artists hopefully from the chicago uh, area but also international and make them dialogue within the premises of the gallery
0: Okay, I love how you're trying to foster these conversations amongst neighborhoods, amongst different artists, from artists to patron, and just trying to have those cross conversations happen. So the founder of the Institute, James Henry Breasted, told WTTW recently that he intended the museum to have an emphasis on the Fertile Crescent. How is this maintained through this new iteration of the Institute?
1: Basically, we are, as I said, keeping the same missions, but we are avoiding the term Fertile crescent" for obvious reasons, connected <laughs> like Orient, for example. This is exactly the same you know, process. Uh, but as I said, we are still operating, showing, preserving, and revealing these artifacts to the audience. So our area of expertise remains exactly the same. It's just that we want to be uh, basically... Up to the task to our worldwide international reputation regarding the the scholarship that we are performing. And at the same time, also bringing the collection to the widest audience possible, mm-hmm. making it available for everyone.
0: What's next for the Institute after this initial announcement and down the road? You mentioned this new exhibit's opening tomorrow. What else?
1: As you can imagine, managing collection is not easy, uh, specifically in the post-pandemic era with two month, two special exhibits per year. Um, hats off by the way to the museum staff not often advertised that is doing an amazing job to keep you know that pace that working pace in the post-pandemic era so yeah basically what we're going to try to do is uh, in the future as you can imagine is updating the didactics Uh, hopefully if if we can modernize certain of the tools we're using to attract a more younger audience basically for example like Interactive screens into the main gallery, um, online lectures and programming, partnerships with other museums in the city to actually see if we can co-curate some exhibitions or even share youth and adult programs on the long run.
0: Awesome. Thank you. That was Marc Mayo, Thank Associate you. Director and Chief Curator of Isaac Museum. This episode of Reset was produced by Michael Liptrop. It was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Meha Ahmad. Hear more about fascinating conversations just like this by subscribing to our podcast. We publish episodes mornings and afternoons, Monday through Friday, and an episode on Saturdays. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Adora Namigadde, and for Sasha Ann Simons, we'll talk to you this afternoon.